Welcome to the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot Axelman. I'm joined today by two wonderful guests. We have John and Rachel from the YAL, that's Young Americans for Liberty chapter of UNH, University of New Hampshire, located in Dover. Is that right? Durham. 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 I, every single time I do that. <laughs> Durham. Okay. That's also far away, like a different world away from me, the other side of New Hampshire. So welcome to the Liberty Block. Thank you very much for being with me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And you guys are the um, maybe president or vice president or people who run the chapter? Uh, yes, currently I am the vice president, but I am running for the presidency and it does look like I will win. Excellent. Uh, I am the activism director and I am running for the vice presidency and I'm running unopposed as well. So there we go. Awesome. And how big is your chapter at UNH right now? We were about seven people last uh not last semester like last year we brought on a couple of people but our issue is obviously just because uh, a lot of people have either taken the semester off or are online so our numbers have dwindled that's right yeah everything's virtual now so yeah. your meetings are your meetings virtual or in person now yes uh they're well we plan on doing uh virtual still just because uh our school's still in this modified like uh lockdown so we could have in-person meetings, but it is a, uh, uh, all the steps we'd have to go through. It's just much easier to send out a Zoom link than it is to coordinate a room each and every week. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I was wondering whether your school would even let you guys do in-person meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. One of the issues is I'm, um, I am remote. Um, the school won't allow me to be on campus, unfortunately, because of their um, COVID Are rules. you a super spreader? Yeah, <laughs> for me, the super spreader. So uh, yeah, that's uh, another big reason why we are um, doing Zoom uh, links. Also, it's just more accessible for everybody. Yeah, so the meetings have been going well. People have been coming and enjoying them. Mm -hmm. Yes, those who come have been quite uh, quite regular. We can guarantee or count on them every week or so, every and week. So you guys meet every week? Yeah. That's great, excellent. So what are you two guys studying and, and what year are you guys in? All right, uh, I'll start. Uh, I am studying finance and economics and I'm a junior. And I am studying communications and I am a super senior. Awesome, cool. So do you guys know or have any idea what you wanna do with those degrees? Do you want to do liberty activism full-time? I'd be open to it. Honestly, um, at this point in my life, um, my main focus is advertising once I uh, graduate. And um, I grad plan to graduate in the summer. Um, just have a few more classes left. I'm really, really excited to be done with school. But um, uh, primarily my main focus is advertising, whether that goes into the Liberty Movement, whether that goes a different direction. Uh, I'm really open to anything. I have done um, a lot of activism, which we'll get into later. But um, again, uh, I'd be down for anything. Yeah, I'm point. sure there are Liberty mm -hmm. companies or Liberty people who are looking to hire someone who knows advertising. There's mm -hmm. There's a whole book because, you know, a lot of people like you guys and me would love to work in a pro-freedom uh, company, mm -hmm. helping freedom and getting paid for it. Because I work on Liberty Block like 80 hours a week. It's insane, but I, I don't get paid for mm -hmm. it. I, we make no money and I just put in my money and my time. But it would be great if I could do the activism I'm doing anyway and get paid and earn a living. Um, so a guy named Connor, who's on the Liberty Block team, he writes articles for us and everything. He wrote a whole book 
Um, and it was based on his journey when he left one job and he, you know, I think he wasn't super satisfied or fulfilled. And he, he spent like six months at home looking for a job where he would feel fulfilled working for Liberty. And in all the research he did for like six months, looking for a job in the Liberty movement, how to get paid full time using his skills. He's a very educated and experienced guy. He's actually, I think, an adjunct professor at a university as well now, um, teaching PR communication stuff, I believe as well. Um, and he wrote a whole book, pretty much just a, a simple resource manual for about everything he learned so that we don't have to go through six months of research. Everything he learned about working in the Liberty movement. I just read the book. It was a short read. It was pretty good. Um, so you certainly could work. And, and obviously, if your network is big with Yale, you have a phenomenal network. I know you could certainly find work in the Liberty movement. And what about you, John? Do you, any idea what you want to do with that degree? Well, so I'd, uh, or I would like to still sort of continue along the lines of managing sort of money. So I'd be more than willing to both uh, sort of use whatever take-home pay I have to donate to the Liberty Movement or to like manage the Liberty Movement's money. So that way we know we have it. And so it's no longer a question of can we pay people or we, can we not? And that way we have more Liberty activists who are active. Excellent. I'm sure you've read End the Fed. Yeah. Good. I finally got around to reading it a few months ago i know it's like required reading and i'd be thrown out of yale or everything else if they found that mm -hmm. i didn't read it i read it a few months ago I, I never had a copy and i was busy reading other books i'm a pretty slow reader my brothers are the fastest readers alive but i'm very slow and i was reading other books it takes like a year to get through a book and um, i went to some libertarian party meeting and they were going to have a raffle or something for the and the fed book and it was only a few of us it was a small lp meeting mm -hmm. and they were like anyone here doesn't have a book anyone hasn't read it and i was the only one to raise my hand so the guy just gave it to me. He's like, dude, everyone else has it. Just take it and read it. So I'm like, thanks. And I, I read it a while later. I finally read it. It was awesome. Um, obviously, we're all big Ron Paul's fans. And, and I, just reading all about sound money and economics and finance was mm. so interesting. And the more I learn about money and finance, I'm like a self-proclaimed great financial advisor, obviously. Yeah. Um, Aren't we all, though? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by it too. I, I would love to be either a financial, you know, advisor, or manager, or investor, or this or that or the other, or educate people. Um, I've written a few articles on Liberty Block. If you look at the site, it's mostly about freedom, but there are one or two articles that are straight up about investing or managing finances. Thankfully, mm -hmm. I never got into massive debt, so I'm already one of the more fortunate or successful Americans financially because I, I don't really have any big. Uh, you know, consumer debt or student debt or anything. So thankfully we've managed our money decently, but we're looking to go through all the, you know, Ramsey steps and get out of debt and hopefully pay for our house really quickly and retire in my dreams. Uh, that'd be nice. So I don't have to work anymore. So I'm fascinated by it as well. So I, I hope you could find work in Liberty Movement too. Right on. Um, just, uh, this is an offhand question. Can you hear my dog barking in the background by any chance? I don't think I've heard him yet, no. Okay, good, because that's why I like muted myself for a few seconds. Yeah, one of our other hosts on, on one of our podcasts, the EJS podcast, has a, the, a dog that makes a lot of noise on the podcast pretty frequently, so that's all right. <laughs> so how long has the chapter at UNH been, the, the YAL uh, chapter there? I believe four years now. It was started the year before I, uh, I ended up going to UNH and I started my freshman year. So I want to say about four years. Rachel, can you confirm that? Um, I think about four years. I know that there was a chapter prior, but it kind of dissolved a little bit for a few years. Like it went on a hiatus and then um, a few friends of ours decided to um, uh, bring it back together and uh, uh, make it a thing again. And uh, 
I started back in 20, 2018, fall of 2018. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been, it's going to be my third year here in Yao um, this year. So I can't believe it. It goes by so fast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so um, it four years, but then um, I think back in like the early 2010s, uh, it was started again by like a couple of people. One of my uh, good friends, Aaron Crapo, was, I believe, in the first one. And he now works for um, Governor Sununu. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So from what you've seen from the student body at UNH, how libertarian or pro-free market would you say they are? Um, would you say 5% uh, of them are pro-freedom or 50% or, or, or a lot of them kind of just blank slates trying to learn what their own ideology is? So Rachel, I'm not sure about you, but so for me, just because of my degree, I know a lot of uh, like business students and I tend to find almost all of them are, are like pro free market, pro, pro like liberty, basically. The issue is just like the idea of liberty has been like suppressed for so long that they aren't fully aware of it. And then the next big issue is then trying to get them to sort of like come and join us because uh, we do take, what is it? We we meet on Thursdays, which is uh, like very important. You're gearing up for that Friday, your last classes. I used to have last semester, almost all my macro exams were on Fridays. So a lot of people, they're using that, that evening to like wor uh, basically get their studies done. So that way they can enjoy their weekend and have no worry about their schoolwork. So we're trying to like get them to come at, at a, the one time we can all meet, but they can't necessarily. So it's like, a lot of it is just we have to like singly like educate people and that can be hard getting their time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so a lot of them, if they're studying finance, they probably are capitalists. They want to make money, yeah. which is great. Uh, and, and they just, just generally like money and is, are interested mm -hmm. in finance. W what about all of the other aspects of Liberty? Cause there are, you know, 10 other or 20 other big pillars mm -hmm. of Liberty. There's the money, there's the uh, free market healthcare, there's um, the drug war, please accountability and free speech. Do you do you think they align with with pro liberty on all the other issues as well? Um, definitely on the war on drugs and the ending of police brutality. Those are those are two other obviously big things in sort of like just like uh, the United States right now. Yeah. Big topics that we have. Um, I think the biggest is the one pillar that is like fighting is fighting an uphill battle is sort of like the free healthcare uh, idea, of free healthcare. Uh, and what I always try to do is I don't sort of attack it like, you know, it's inefficient, is it government bureaucracy, you know, all these other ones fail. I always just sort of start out with the basics of just economics. Everything is scarce. And so we can increase the amount of people who have access to it, but we never end up actually increasing the supply. That's why we tend to see these shortages. And that's why what I think Canada or up in Canada with its uh, single payer system it's like three to three to four times the amount of waiting you have to do because they're they're basically making it and immediately sending it off. And so when you come and if you don't come at the right time to get into that shipment, you got to wait for the next one. And I so think that's, that's a pretty smart argument because you're right. The, the definition of the study of economics is the the allocation of scarce resources. And if mm -hmm. your classmates or everyone in your major understands mm -hmm. that every every resource is scarce, that should help them. Uh, be on the side of freedom in, in almost every single aspect 
So that, that is a pretty good argument. There, there are a bunch of ways you could attack the argument. Just ask them, do, do you want the government to control healthcare and give it to everyone for free? So you trust people like Pelosi, Clinton, Schumer, uh, McConnell, and Trump, and Biden to control all of healthcare. And at least a few of those politicians, they will immediately gag yeah. if you say their name. So that, that'll kind of get them on board too. So what about you, Rachel? With the other students in uh, advertising or marketing, you find a lot of them are pretty left-leaning. So um, let me like rephrase. So I'm actually in community, there's like communications and communication. I guess I'm technically in communication, but it like overlaps with um, business and marketing in some aspects. Um, mine is more of a sociological perspective, which I actually really don't like because sociology is, I, I believe um, there's a lot of truth to sociology, but a lot of flawed ideas come out of sociology, if that makes sense. Like, um, uh, but in any event, um, the primary thing uh, challenge that I have, um, you know, and this is a thing that Yale stands for, obviously, is free speech. Um, that is something that is attacked a lot, I feel like, in um, communication, communications, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And I know there's a certain, like, societal line that you should not cross um, in order to be polite or... Um, fit in with society, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot, a big reason why that's attacked at UNH is because there's this whole idea that they don't want hate speech, which nobody wants hate speech. I don't want hate speech on campus. My, but the thing is we can't retract our first amendment right and give that up. We have to combat hate speech with free speech or, or with better speech, with not hateful speech, with loving speech, with speech that will pretty much debunk every idea that hateful people have. Well, the problem is that hatred is arbitrary and they think that anything pro-freedom and anti-socialism is uh, inherently hateful. So it's hard to combat that because they, you know, they use the term hate and radical uh, extremists like us inciting violence, which means nothing. And that's how they can make us all guilty. Right. And I think, you know, I really feel for a lot of my fellow students, too, because I understand where they're coming from. Like, nobody wants to live in a hateful world. Nobody wants people to shout, you know, racial slurs. I don't want that. I think it's disgusting when people say horrible, disgusting things like that. However, at the same time, you can combat that and end it and stop it and stop racism at its core with better speech and freer speech. And that's you can't shut down an argument that you don't like. You have to debate your way out of it. Uh, I think there's a great quote. One of you guys might know who it is. A great quote. The, the cure for hate speech is more speech. And it's like something like the cure for hate speech or bad speech isn't uh, censorship. The cure is more speech to right. overwhelm it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing what's going on right now with uh, Twitter and Facebook and that kind of, that really concerns me, all of this censorship, because it does fall into advertising in some levels to say, all right, well, are the, is it all going to shift again? Like we constantly are shifting uh, to what is and isn't socially acceptable to do. And in some ways it's becoming um, more lenient and in some ways it's becoming less lenient. And that's kind of where, you know, I'm, I'm tired of seeing, um, uh, Jack Dorsey and Jeff, or excuse me, Mark Zuckerberg um, censor people that they don't like and kind of shut down opinions that they 
don't like instead of letting other people shut them down, you know? Or I agree that the Overton window is shifting extremely rapidly. Usually, right. in, historically, the Overton window of what's acceptable discourse in the world shifted maybe at a glacial pace, a tiny bit over centuries. But because everything is sped up with the news cycle being so fast from Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, everything happens in seconds and it's not measured in a, a news cycle of months or years. It's literally seconds because in two minutes, the news cycle changes. Things can happen very fast. And over the last five, 10 years, they've made communism and socialism acceptable and preferred. And they've made it unacceptable in society to support, I would say, free markets and uh, gun rights and, and uh, free market and healthcare and maybe a nuclear family with, uh, you know, with a mother and a father and children and buying a house. They, they made everything that was previously normal into not even acceptable, in fact, borderline violent extremist speech. So um, I would like to give some background too. Uh, I am actually a former socialist. I was uh, red pilled back in 20, or yellow pilled, red pilled, however you want to say it. Yellow and black. Yellow, black, red, <laughs> you know what I mean. I was, uh, my, a lot of my perspectives changed back in 2016. And the reason why is that um, back when I was a socialist, I was a Bernie supporter. I remember I voted for him for the, like he was the first presidential candidate I ever voted for. Um, I was really into sociology. I was really into, you know, e human rights and ending racism and all of this stuff. And I think that when you, and ending poverty. Like I didn't want to see people poor. Nobody does. Nobody does. And I think that when you're in that mindset, anything that contradicts that mindset, you bury as a hateful argument, but it's not coming necessarily from a place of hate. It's coming from a place of looking at the world in an objective manner and seeing different perspectives. And when you start to look at different perspectives, you realize they're not coming from a hateful place. They're coming from a place of wanting to change the world in a good positive way and wanting to you know at the same time commit to our values and our value system that this country was founded on um not necessarily meaning that you want oh you which was equality and justice for all but at the same time you know you do have the historical piece to it which is also you know, it has good and bad. America has good and bad parts to our history, but that doesn't mean we should necessarily change like the Bill of Rights or um, the art of like all of the amendments we have, like we shouldn't change any of that. We instead can fix these without, you know, growing the government and voting for big government politicians. We can make our own differences in our own community ourselves. And again, you kind of see that with the stock market happening right now. And I, I hate to jump ship all over the place, but um, I guess my whole thing is kids these days are only really taught the socialist Marxist perspective in schools, the CRT perspective. They're not taught the libertarian perspective. They're not taught the conservative perspective. And they might have assumptions and stereotypes and ideas about what it might mean, but until they actually talk to people in the movement and listen to them and really think about them, it's just, we won't unite as people and there will just be this big divide in this country. So that's my- Well, I, I think there is a big divide and, and I don't even think it could be fixed in the country, but we'll get to that later. But John, to bring you back in, if you're going to be the president, maybe soon after the next election mm -hmm. of the UNH uh, Yale chapter, I assume you're, you'd be responsible for crafting the mission statement. What would you say the, the mission is of Yale? 
are you trying to uh, educate people? Are you trying to make activists and start um, knocking doors around New Hampshire and getting libertarians to win? What would you say your mission is of having this Yale chapter at at UNH? I would say our mission statement at at Yale, at UNH, is uh, less so the idea necessarily of like, you know, getting activists or so forth. I feel for a lot of time, a lot of it, we just sort of let nationals do that for us. Um, for us, it's really just sort of educating people. Like, like that's our thing is we want people to sort of like understand, no, we're not this, that, and the other thing. We just believe that bigger government or, or control over it will inevitably fail. And so that by sort of letting you decide what is best for your life is much better than letting some schmuck in DC tell you what is best for you. And as such, uh, I actually tend to find that like when you break it down to that, it's very well receptive. And so for us, I think we're going to try and change it to like that idea of sort of like, you know, we are with you on some things, but I'm telling you this sort of bigger government stuff to not to like censor it or like end it will not end up working. Excellent. So other than the meetings that you have weekly, do you have any other opportunities where you, I guess, speak to the broader audience? Do you do, you do any, any speeches or anything like that in the college to educate others who don't come to your meetings? I believe we were trying to, and then the issue with COVID happened and then we all went home and then we all went on Zoom and then like that, it just, everything sort of fiddled out. That was the, that was our biggest issue. It was just, just as we were gaining momentum and gaining traction, uh, flipped the switch and then we were all back on Zoom. Yeah, COVID, COVID ruined a lot of things <laughs> and everything is virtual and weird now. So on the college campus, would you say a lot of the professors are decent or neutral or apolitical or pro-freedom or do a lot of them push uh, leftism and authoritarian big government like we see professors do around the U.S.? In um, the comms uh, department, well, so the comms is part of the liberal arts school at UNH, so you get a lot of professors who are pushing, um, you know, the liberal mindset. I had a professor last semester who I won't name drop. I actually really loved this professor, but one of the problems was um, he would talk about Biden a lot, and uh, which was fine, you know, the election was coming up, but it did, there were times where it did make me a little like uncomfortable. And he was very respectful that I um, had a different viewpoint. He knew I had a different viewpoint. Um, he knew that I wasn't going to obviously like say anything crazy in class and I would never ever do that. But um, yeah, I would say that for the most part, and I also, before this um, coming to UNH, so I actually transferred a couple years back, but I was actually a business student back at Endicott College um, in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's a very small school. And what I found was um, actually different from your experience a little bit, John. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of professors you really had, but um, I, had a per, I had a macro professor who really loved Janet Yellen and Robert Reich. And I just remember that clear as day about him. So yeah, I would say for the most part uh, with my college experience, I've had a, most professors have been liberally biased or socially or promoted socialism in some way. Like, But it sounds like from what you say about your professor, they're at least tolerant enough. And John, you too, would you say that the students and professors are at least tolerant of crazy right-wing radical extremists who support crazy things like the free market? Um, uh, or, or are they aggressive towards you? 
No, no, no. Uh, 100%, I'd say that they're very tolerant to the idea of uh, like free markets. Obviously, I'm a little biased. I'm in finance and economics. Um, I had one teacher who was, he like ended up letting it slip that he was liberal, but he, obviously he's not going to, he's not going to be there saying that like capitalism and economics is the, the, the worst. Like that's what he did is what he studied. He even studied he like specialized in financial markets. So he completely understands sort of the necessity of markets. He just does believe that sometimes markets tend to be inefficient or wrong for lack of a better term. Um, I did have one professor who was clearly right wing. I mean, he didn't say it, but just sort of like some of the things he said, for example, we were going over like who, what was it? Um, like who, who incorporates the future is like the best idea specifically into like stock prices. Uh, and like we had three options. It was either markets, uh, managers, or the government. And most of my class ended up voting for the government. Obviously I voted for markets, obviously uh, no one voted for managers, not important. But um, when he went through and he sort of explained it, he said, like, I'm a markets guy. I believe that markets can interpret the, the future. That's why we have billion, billion dollar evaluations on companies that haven't even turned profit yet. Uh, and then he called those who voted for the government uh, socialists. So. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. It's, it's interesting because like the people who know the markets you know, mm -hmm. they understand capitalism and everything. Some of them, well, some of the professors about leftism broadly, some of the professors are tolerant of us that we see uh, at Harvard and mm -hmm. other universities. Um, like I think Dershowitz was from Harvard and he's very much an uh, advocate of robust debate with, with both sides. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of a moderate, kind of a leftist, kind of conservative. I don't know much about Alan Dershowitz. Um, but he, I think, at least supports debate because that is, you know, the spirit of, I don't like the term democracy, but the spirit of a free society is open debate. But we, I also, and that's, a, there's a lot of that universities, I assume, you know, people like debate. I love debate. A lot of, a lot of others love debate, even with those they bitterly disagree with. But we also see over the past decade, colleges around the U.S. shutting down free speech and debate because they don't want our opinions, the side of freedom to even be heard, maybe because they're afraid that it has merit and will convince some people. So I think there's a big dichotomy there, right, between those who, who are bitter leftists and hate us and think there's there's it's good to have debate and some want to shut down all debate. And the reason that poli politics gets so difficult and so vitriolic and, and aggressive is because those who disagree with us and same vice versa, they don't just think the opposition is you know wrong or misguided. Increasingly, each side thinks the opposition is evil. Um, they think we're evil, greedy capitalists who are inciting violence and need to be in re-education camps, like they're saying the last few weeks on, on the leftist news networks. And it's getting a little scary, right? And and I'll be honest, I don't think, I think some are misguided, but I think on the left, a lot of them, the authoritarians are evil. They want to control me. The politicians, people like Pelosi, she's had 70 years to get, you know, guided right direction. She's not misguided. She is evil. She wants to control me, take everything I have, re-educate me or kill me or torture me. So a lot of the leftists, you know, the more informed voters who know what they're voting for, and they know all about Bernie for, Bernie for 20 years and they still vote for them. They are, I'm not going to say they're misguided. They are, they are evil. They want to control me. I'm not going to say we have to go murder them right now, but I want to separate from them. I want to live in a society, not with them. They can go to California, they can Cal exit and they can live in their own country. And I can live in my, my own country because I don't want to be with them. So that's interesting about politics. It's not like debating, you know, uh, Red Sox versus Yankees. 
where you can think they're still a human. We, you know, people don't think communists are human and communists think that we're greedy capitalist pigs. So it, it's hard to get along, right? You know, to kind of di digress that, I mean, I personally, I do think that, um, I think that there's a lot of common ground actually between socialists and libertarians. And I've found this because I've talked to many socialists. I, ha I have friends who are socialists and, um, they, we all kind of have this anti, I wouldn't say anti-government, well, I, yeah, a little bit anti-government stance um, where we want to see big changes in the government. We've seen that, you know, there's an elite that has been screwing everything over for a long period of time and has messing with the people and what the people want. And I think that even though um, there are a lot of things I would never say, oh, no, I don't want that in my society. I want to do it freely. I want to do it the right way. I want, you know, just leave people alone. You can't force people. I think the biggest thing is you cannot force people to be tolerant or to be a certain, be the way you want them to be. They're going to be what they are. And either you ignore them, you let them live their life, you can't really change people that easily or you you talk to them and you teach them and you you educate them the right way you cannot necessarily force people to believe something they don't want to believe and that's the thing that i think a lot of socialists and communists don't really fully grasp and understand um and even though they might want to force it and have like all of these really crazy ideas on how they can force it they just it's not ever going to happen and I think the primary thing that we need to focus on now as Americans is spreading our message as yeah, but also finding common things that we can agree on in society. I don't think that we have to live in this divided America. I don't want that to happen. I mean, it probably will happen at some point, maybe, I don't know. Like I can't predict the future, but um, we do at some point need to look at ourselves and say, hey, like we, again, what happened with the stock market this week that was not just libertarians who were pissed off that was socialists who were pissed off that was a lot of different people well everyone hates wall street hedge funds yeah everybody hates mm -hmm. wall street besides now. for the the yeah. elite the hedge funds your friend janet yellen uh melvin capital robin hood google the elites are all in a big club and you ain't yeah. in it so yeah and, everyone's upset and the big thing i'm seeing now is like people are getting together but then all of a sudden you have you know AOC, Ted Cruz, and Don Jr. all agreed on the same thing. And then AOC went back and said, no, like, I'm not going to unite with you. Was on that her. about the Capitol? She said you almost got me murdered. Was she talking about yeah. the sixth? She was, yeah, she was talking oh about the sixth, but- God, Ted she wasn't almost murdered. A few unarmed, weird hippies with fluffy hats <laughs> walked into the Capitol because the security opened the door and invited them in and they were unarmed. And that was it. There were there were a few crazies who did try to push their way in. I will say yeah, that. Yeah, but nobody was armed, and they well, they walked into the Capitol where there are like a billion people with weapons, like the Capitol Police and security. Were so they I don't think AOC was almost killed. I also think well, there was a guy who did like receive give her death threats, but a lot of politicians do receive death threats, like Susan Collins. Yeah. Well, there was literally somebody who was trying to like. I think behead her or something. I don't know, something crazy like that. Donald Trump was beheaded in so many music videos and pictures and videos and yeah. plays. And, they had a whole play about him. And it's like, if AOC is making 
that claim. She needs to back it up and she needs to file a criminal report if she's being serious. I know she was kind of being overly dramatic, but but that's to get back to the point. That's the problem with America is that we are so ingrained in our own ideology that we refuse to unite on common ground on something. And if we're really going to make changes in America, we have to unite with the people we don't agree with on some basic things at least. And we have to find common ground on some basic things at least in order to get things done. And- John, who let the optimist in here? <laughs> <laughs> do you think that, uh, John, do you think that uh, America needs to come together and unite like Biden is now saying? Uh, I don't he's mean not, it's not exactly showing, but that's what he's saying. I'm not saying to conform, by the way. I'm saying yeah. unite but on common even, ground. Even unite, um, when you say that there's enough in common, because personally for me, I'm a pessimist and I've been a secessionist for a while now, increasingly, the more I see about the US, do you think that it could be united or is, is it too far oh, gone? Because... Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I have, so I have a back home, uh, I'm from Maryland, I should say. And so back home, a lot of my like school friends are either left wing or they're leftists. And we, they all know I'm a libertarian. And like, you know, I told them like, nah, actually I'm a libertarian. You know, I like this sort of idea. And they understand that I'm a libertarian because they don't believe in telling other people how to live their life. Uh, same reason they're leftists. They just think that Wall Street and like the elites do it. So they want to build up the government to do it. Where I'm saying we should have, we should give them less power by allowing them to put in less money. And so one of the things I always bring up because uh, the person who radicalized me was Rand Paul. And so when Rand Paul, uh, proposed the Brianna Taylor Act. And so I like I, I stuck that in the back of my head because I knew I was going to get questions about my thoughts on it was Portland at the time, but just sort of like that whole summer and everything. And so obviously I don't really support, you know, police brutality. Uh, in my home state of Maryland, there was, uh, I forget an individual, but he was killed in almost the exact uh, way that Brianna Taylor was killed. And, you know, I knew about it. And so I sort of kept it and I kept it in my back pocket. And so when we're talking about this and we eventually get to the point where they're talking, where we're talking back and forth about it. And so I say, you know, there's not a leftist or like a left leaning candidate that has actually done anything about this. And the only actual action has come from, it was Justin Amash with his end on qualified immunity and Rand Paul with his sort of end on, or the Breonna Taylor Act to end no knock warrants. And so, you know, after that, they sort of understand they're like, okay, yeah, the establishment doesn't want to do anything. And so we, right there, we've made common ground. We understand that it's like, it's not right versus left. It's really like authoritarian versus libertarian. And so- Yeah, what the issue is, I think 50 to 60% of the US are on a pessimistic day, I would say 70 to 90% understand it enough and they want more authoritarianism. We already have a very authoritarian country. Um, mm-hmm. We have you know, billions of laws and trillions in taxes, yeah. 40, 50% effective income tax. They want more laws and more taxes, more authoritarian and less liberty, around 50 to 60% of the US at least. If you look at um, voting for, for president, governor, Senate, House, local elections, they want socialism. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, 70, 80 million voted for Biden. And it's not because you know, Trump was nasty. He's a pig, but everyone knows he's a pig. It was because they supported socialism and Biden was more socialist. We all know if Bernie would have won the nomination in 2016 to 2020, he probably would have won outright because the US around 60% is socialist. Um, and that's fine. But I think these people can't be convinced. I have spoken to uh, thousands of people around. I've been able to convince a few, maybe one out of every few thousand, but most understand it enough. I know some pretty educated folks who are socialist. And as we just said, some professors are socialists, so they're plenty educated, but they can't be convinced. After five, 10 years of screaming till I'm blue in the face, I've kind of given up and said, you know what? 
I love you guys. They're my neighbors, my friends. I have a lot of leftist friends and that's fine. Just don't try to control me and I can keep loving you because I'm going to start hating you if you try to take my guns, take my money, control me and uh, destroy my life. But if you actually do like my friends in CalExit, and that's why I love the guys running CalExit, they're all bitter leftist progressives, but I love them because we agree on the one most important thing in the world and talk about being united in the idea of the division, which is ironic, but like Marcus from CalExit and I are united and what we have in common most is we both understand that California, New Hampshire, Wyoming, Texas, and Florida are very different states, very different nations. Mm-hmm. And, and they can't keep going, living together in the same country, trying to control each other. And at some point, I guess what I'm asking is for both of you, at what point would you say, you know what, split the country into either two or three different countries or let every state be all 50 states be independent because we're so different. Just from Massachusetts to New Hampshire is a world of difference, right? They want tor- total socialism, maybe Cuba, China style socialism, maybe even North Korea style communism. And we want in New Hampshire, we want more liberty, what Republicans in the House and Senate now are doing are cutting taxes, where we want more and more freedom and less government. So we're diverging even more, right? So it's, every state is unique. Every state has its own culture, its own almost ident- identity, its own language, its entire own political system. So I, I've been trying to unite and convince everyone, you know, Liberty Block is educational. I try to convince, educate everyone in the world about liberty. But at some point after years and writing hundreds of articles and doing this for thousands of hours, I give up and I say, you know what, you want to be socialist? That's fine. Just be socialist on your own time and don't try to control me. So I think that um, the, the main thing that I've observed with um, young socialists in particular is they don't really want um, the Chinese or Cuban model. They don't want that. They want the Norwegian model, which is capitalism mm-hmm. with social programs. Um, and unfortunately, you get to, a, it is a slippery slope a little bit um, on some levels because you get to social programs and then what? They don't work. So they take more money and they continue to not work and then they take more money. And it's just like this vicious cycle of um, just that will eventually destroy the middle class and, and the lower classes. And, and, you know, there's this whole eat the rich thing and only taxing the rich and whatnot, but you can't really, that'll still have an effect on the middle class and the lower class. And that's what a lot of so young socialists don't really- They don't believe in trickle down. They think nothing trickles down no. ever. So they don't think it'll have an effect. Yeah. I've had people tell me to my face, yeah. there's no such thing as trickle down. But, Take away all the money from the rich. If yeah. Bezos had no money, we'd be fine. Yeah. No, we wouldn't be. We wouldn't buy stuff from Amazon and the half a million people he employs would be, would be jobless. I think the primary thing is that we need to really educate- the others we need to educate the young people as much as we we can about um liberty and about uh libertarian ideas like true libertarian ideas and just having the government you know not be really be in the lives of the people i think that a lot of um a lot of socialists might be like might have some libertarian some libertarian ideas and still not be obviously libertarian they'll be socialists because they believe in the socialist um model Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I don't think that I th- again. I don't necessarily think every single person who has that mentality is necessarily th- they have bad intentions. I just think that they're uneducated about what about the market. They're uneducated about economics. On some level, they might have this idea of what the economic system is like. But then when they get out into the world and they see how it really is and how they just, they just don't know how to really play with it and work with it. And so that's why they fight against it so hard. They're certainly uneducated about the, the Scandinavian model. Um, Cause I looked into the Scandinavian model a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it works. It works a little better than the Venezuelan model of socialism. And, and they have you know, a bit more freedom and it's different than the Chinese model. And it's obviously better than the North Korean model. The reason the Scandinavian model in those five small Scandinavian countries works so well, the number one reason, it doesn't work that that well, but it works decently. You know, they look better than Venezuela and China, right? The big thing is of those five nations, uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, and uh, Finland, those five nations, the average one, they have, have an average of 5 million people. Think about that. That's a city right. of the U.S. That, you know, the U.S. has 330 million, so almost 100 times as many people. They have 5 million people, so they're way smaller, different universe, but also they're all almost 100% homogenous, whereas the U.S. is the most diverse place in the world. We have 330 million different people, maybe 1,000 different types of ethnicities, cultures, languages, races, etc. In those five countries, nearly everyone is 100% essentially a, a clone. That's how much, and I have some stories to prove to you. My brother uh, visited Iceland, and he had a very interesting experience there. Um, I think five or 10% are foreign born, meaning essentially zero immigrants in the country. Whereas the US, as the left always reminds us, is a country of immigrants. And, and I'll sound like a racist bigot, but that's fine because all the statistics back me up. The more diverse a place, the more violence are gonna have. Um, I lived in New York for 10 years where forget, forget like, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, just among the Latin American communities and the gangs, the Dominicans and Puerto Ricans killed each other. It's that simple. If you're a Puerto Rican, Dominican, El Salvadorian, Honduran, you will kill each other for that reason. Because people naturally, for better or for worse, in the case of violent gang violence, it's for the worse, but people naturally self-segregate. I have a million examples of people who naturally live in their own communities. In New York, there are communities of Korean, Chinese, Italian, Greek, Jewish, and everyone naturally lives among those who are like-minded. Just like in New Hampshire with the FSP, we all want to live among like-minded people. So the Scandinavian countries are nearly 100% homogenous. They're tiny countries. They all have the exact same language, religion, culture. And in fact, they all are essentially cousins. My brother went to Iceland and he found something very interesting. They're all, they're all like first cousins. They're, they're all so, um, you know, they interbreed, I believe. And they all have the same last name, you know, Jorgensen, um, somethingson, somethingson, you know. Um, he said when they went to clubs and they would dance and they would meet a girl and go home with them, they didn't want to learn their last name because they were afraid. Because, you know, that, they're all first cousins, put it that way. They're all so closely related. They, you know, you, you're a guy, you meet a girl, you don't want to know her last name, you go home, you have some fun, and then you say goodbye, never know her name. And there's a, there's a word for that, you know, essentially like a booty call. There's a word for that where you're afraid to learn their last name because it's such a tiny homogenous nation. Just so you understand, in the US, we can't understand that. I've lived in other nations um, where they are pretty homogenous, different universe. The point is when you're homogenous, you care so much more about your identical twin because you care about them naturally. And so socialism works only when, or socialism to an extent, it only works if you don't want to be that parasite. You want to contribute to the community. You think in the whole U.S., everyone cares and loves each other in the whole U.S. that much or that homogenous? Hell no. So for those, and there are a lot other reasons too. Um, and they still have like 50, 60, 70% effective taxes. And they still have probably less regulation than we have. So I would argue that the, the Scandinavian countries are actually more free than we are. But tell Bernie Sanders, next time someone tells you about Bernie, a Bernie bro, tell him if you want to be like, like Scandinavian countries, do, are you saying you want the U.S. to be 95% white? and see what they say. So to go back to the whole uh, gang thing, do you think that maybe if we funded communities more or we, we used our free, free market solutions to kind of help fix that problem, the gang problem would uh, disintegrate or it would help to go away? Because again, um, I'm just think I was thinking about that about like how you know we do live in a diverse country and God bless our country I think it's an amazing country I have no problem with diversity at all in our country um, but at the same time you know I I do talk to 
various groups and various people and and they especially groups that come from cities and places that traditionally are um, impoverished and I think about you know what we can do to really fix those problems um, and the free market solutions we can do to fix them yeah, as far as voluntary solutions kind of, and how we can kind of promote that in a way that entices people that gets people on board that gets people to want to continue um you, you know to to feel like they're making a difference in the world in my opinion the, the ultimate voluntary solution to solving the stuff that i've seen in new york city for 10 years working in, in the, the projects in the bronx the only the best way to solve it would be to uh reinstall and begin to support a family again. Nearly everyone in this area, the poorest places in New York City who resort to violence and drugs and other uh, real crimes, nearly all of them are raised by a single parent who is also below the age of 15. The average first time mother in the Bronx is maybe 13 or 14 years old and there's there's no man. So it's you're being raised by one 13 year old, you, you may not turn out very successful and, and it's obviously not their fault, it's their circumstance. Um, if, I don't know who could do it, but if they were educated and the families themselves started changing their family trees and maybe get married and have a house and a stable relationship and house and job and then have kids, I think that would be the single biggest thing we could do to alter the course of what we see in, in all the cities throughout the US. It's an interesting perspective. Um, I definitely I definitely think single parent families are an issue, but at the same time, um, I think it's not just that. I think there are many other things that are involved with that issue. I think that poverty is not just something that happens because of one particular thing. It's it's a multitude of things mm. adding up. I think that's just really one piece of it that I wouldn't say that's the that's very small. I mean, you do have a point that there are a lot of single parent families and that can contribute to a lower income families because only, you know, you have one primary person bringing in all of the income for that family. However, at the same time, uh, we have to look at the bigger picture here and historically have these places been uh, impoverished, you know, how many businesses, small businesses, local businesses are there in that area? Oh, you can't start a business in New York City. Exactly. How many jobs are there? Like you have to really look at. You can't get over the million regulations and pay the taxes for a business. Yeah. It's impossible. (laughs) Anyways. Um. So we should go back, we should circle back. I hate using that word now because of our new press secretary. (laughs) (laughs) But we should circle back to uh, uh, New Hampshire and Durham and and what we're we're working and what we, uh, and local politics, because there's just a lot going on in New Hampshire alone. And, Uh you know, it's just, it's very relevant right now. And I think that, you know, Durham is becoming a very, um, Durham has always been a very liberal place, but I think that what we're doing right now, right here and right now, we can really kind of change the minds of a lot of people. I think that education's the best thing right now. And I think a lot of people my age, again, they're just not exposed to it. Uh, One time I actually went to downtown Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I was was meeting up with a friend of mine, my best friend, and there were a bunch of Trump supporters on the street uh, in front of uh, Congress church with like flags and stuff. And some people were honking, some people were flipping the bird at them. And across the street, there were uh, people in high school and people who are my age that had like BLM signs and stuff. And 
I don't, I know that you said earlier that everybody wanted to vote for Joe Biden, but the majority of people my age that I've talked to really didn't like Joe Biden at all and knew how corrupt he was. They just didn't want Trump. They really mm -hmm. didn't want Trump. And um, I, uh, my friend and I and John actually had just gone to a Joe Jorgensen rally. Yeah. And I um, asked my friend who still had posters of Joe Jorgensen, like uh, her uh, promotional posters in his car. I asked her, him, can you bring me one? And I decided to just wreak havoc and just run around uh, Main Street with a Joe Jorgensen sign and everybody gave me hate. And that was so, <laughs> well, that was so funny because like, you know, it's both sides, except for those high school kids, because they wanted a different option. They wanted to find somebody who was a different option. And then there was this one guy off to the side who was like, oh, don't vote for her because it's a vote for Trump. And I said to him, you know, people oh. have told me the same thing, but that it's a vote for Biden, right? Like, actually, on that point, on that point. <laughs> so um, some of my conservative friends who are uh, much more bigger into Trump, uh, when they saw sort of a lot of these swing states, like having like basically like if they took the libertarian total and then tapped that on to the the trump total they would have beaten joe biden one of my friends in our like a, a group chat i'm in who's like I swear to god if trump loses because a bunch of libertarians didn't get in line i'm gonna i'm gonna kick the next one i see that means you john <laughs> so it's like people say like especially this past election oh a vote for the third party is a vote for the the wrong candidate I mean, there's to some degree, I like telling like uh, left-leaning people, ha, my vote made more of a difference than yours because in yep. your state or yours, you did nothing. You did absolutely nothing. It was in New Hampshire, for example, it was going blue. I knew it was going blue before. That's why I had like, it didn't even occur to me to-, to I was actually hopeful consider. and I'm a pessimist, but I thought from what I saw, you know, again, like you said, it wasn't nobody supports Biden and there was a lot of energy for Trump. So I, I thought there was a chance he could win it. I know it usually goes a bit blue, but I thought there was a chance he could win New Hampshire. Um, yeah. But who knows if not for all the cheating. But about the, the splitting the vote thing, I have a few interesting thoughts about it. Um, historically, I've been pretty upset at libertarians, for, for those who are pro-free market, you know, pro-gun, pro-freedom, who vote libertarian because they don't like the Republican, because it, it does, you know, essentially help the, the Democrat win because it's one less vote that, that theoretically would have gone to Republicans. A good argument against that is nobody owns your vote. Trump mm -hmm. doesn't own my vote. And it's not like right. I took it back yeah. and gave it to someone else. Um, another good argument, I actually saw, I think, a study, they looked at the data, and the libertarians generally draw at least as many votes from Democrats or, or potential Democrat voters as they draw from the right, which I wouldn't have thought was the case, but because the, the, the libertarian party is, I guess, culturally so uh, pro-immigrant, pro-drugs, pro-police accountability, they draw a lot more from Democrats, I would have thought. So they're actually siphoning off equally or maybe even more from Democrats. Um, now, ultimately, the, the, one of the biggest reasons why I do, no longer care about this is, like I said, I'm a pessimist. I've given up on the U.S. So right now, I kind, kind of wanted Biden to win because it would have woken up millions more conservatives to my pessimistic point of view that the U.S. can't be saved. Um, I know you guys aren't quite there yet, but that's fine. Because um, every day we get closer and closer, right? If Biden says, I'm going to sign an executive order making the income tax in the U.S. 85%, Tomorrow, you're going to call me and say, okay, let's work on secession, right? Um, once they start taking all your guns in the US and there's no recourse for it because every Republican votes for that bill, you know, eventually, you know, I, I think progressively every day we're all seeing that we're going to give up more. My brother's a bigger pessimist than me. Um, and he, he's elated today. I've never seen him this happy in my life because he's realizing it's all crumbling and everyone, especially libertarians and conservatives like you, are realizing the US is finished. We need to separate, have a nice, peaceful divorce, 
have an amicable, mature divorce and separate and save what we can. And, and every day for the last few years, millions more libertarians and conservatives are, are waking up and I think realizing we can't save the country. If you look at libertyblock.com where we do the articles and videos, you'll see a million reasons why. And I'm writing a whole book, reasons why the US cannot be saved. Every single state, every single Republican, the most pro-liberty Republicans and libertarians who control this town, the city, the county, the state government with a trifecta, veto-proof majority, Republican governor, even under Republican Trump, still had the most strict corona fascism, as strict as California and New York. So the corona fascism, the anti-liberty uh, abuse of children, forcing them to wear masks and not even letting them have desks is in Alaska, the most conservative Republican state. Even Wyoming, where there are essentially uh, only 11% identifies liberals in the whole state. So it's all conservative. Trump won by like 70 points. Um, still, Wyoming, mask mandates galore. Every state, even Florida and even South Dakota. So there's nowhere that's good. Um, I kind of think New Hampshire is good, but New Hampshire is not nearly as red as, as Wyoming. And it really goes back and forth. Democrats control it a lot as well. So I don't think any state can be saved. I think we should focus on saving maybe New Hampshire, maybe South Dakota or Wyoming. But that, that's just how pessimistic I am. So from the optimist point of view, um, I think that a, a big thing that I've really come around in the past year to is um, uh, learning how to primary people, learning how to fight for pro-liberty candidates. I did Operation Win at the Door, which was through uh, Make Liberty Win PAC, um, mm -hmm. not technically with Yale, but uh, kind of, there was a lot of crossover there. Um, and uh, that was eye-opening because there are a lot of um, people, there are a lot of people that, you know, were just in uh, Washington and in politics in general that are just really bad and really disgusting people, uh, excuse me, Congress people, congressmen and congresswomen, and they're not fighting for liberty. They're not fighting for the benefit of the blue collar worker. They're not fighting uh, for the people to really do whatever they please. Um, and of course there are rules and limitations, obviously, but um, they're really not fighting for the greater good of, of what we want. They're fighting for their own personal interests. They're fighting for their lobbyists. They're fighting for their PACs. They're not, they're not fighting for the people. That's what I'm trying to say. And um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on primarying people and um, putting in pro-liberty candidates? Do you think that can save America? Another thing I, too is yeah. um, that I wanted to bring up is that the system is obviously very left leaning you have hollywood on the left side you have um you have the media on the left side you have cnn that's like the top clinton news network i like to joke about that um but they're all on this very like left-leaning there's a lot of left-leaning bias in our entertainment in our media in our schools everywhere in like this whole in every institution you can think of really and um I just think that, you know, what if we started pushing our own messages, like read house bills, don't read the media, um, learn this way, not that way. Like, that's the reason our generation, which I think is the most eye-opened generation ever, because we have the internet on our side, we have just a, a multitude of resources that, where we can learn certain things about how our government works. and. That's where I think a true, a lot of change will come in because if people really open their eyes to where politicians are voting for, what legislation they're voting for, and they really paid attention to it, 
as much as they should. And they actually started watching C-SPAN reading Axios, which I don't know how you feel about Axios, but I personally think it's the least biased of all the media I've read. And I've read a lot of different types of media. Um, I think that if we really educated people on where to get their news, what to do, how to attack big tech, how to attack the system, I've started using Gab. I've started um, using Proton Mail. I've started using Brave Web Browser. I've started, I did have a parlor for a little while and I know that if anybody watching this, I might get flack for that. Um, I never posted anything vicious on parlor. I just liked the platform. I liked the differences in perspective. I never saw anything really vicious out there on the platform. I know that it did, there were probably people who were crazy and in that case, they should have been reported. Like if they really posted something that was illegal or threatening or anything like that. Um, Gab doesn't tolerate any legitimate threats at all, um, even though they are a pro um, free speech platform. And they're all of these alt media and alt news and alt this and alt that, you can, they get demonized by mainstream media and all of this and people are being told, oh, don't use this, don't use this, don't use this. In reality, they should be using it and they should be aware that in order to gain a well-rounded perspective, you have to kind of look at everything, even the things you don't want to look at. So that's my two cents. Um, I think personally, we there is some hope. I think that um, we just have to be mindful and we have to really kind of use the um, resources that we have in order to cr uh, kind of create the world we want to live in. And I mean, in order to push the things we want to push. And Gab has been around since 2016. It has been banned from the App Store. It has been deplatformed so many times. Its servers have been taken off just like Parler, I'm pretty sure. And it's still around. It's It just had the biggest boost in history after Trump got banned off of Twitter. and you know, this is what we got to be using. We got to be getting our news from reliable news sources like Axios. We got to um, really be reading House bills, reading what the Senate's doing, really paying attention to what's happening and not necessarily just bashing candidates, bash everybody because they all suck. Don't simp for your candidates. That's the number one rule. I've seen so many people simp for AOC just because she's pretty. Don't do that, that's not good. <laughs> at all please don't um hold your can't hold your politicians accountable because as we learned uh all of us learned at um the last meeting we were at um in manchester politicians are tools they are not people mm -hmm. as far as as primary candidates i think there could be some good from that um and I, obviously we've seen yale and, and there are help win some primaries and get rid of bad candidates and, and help good candidates win but almost, from, in my experience, almost every primary is predetermined by the party leaders who have tremendous power. So yes, can you know thousands of door knockers with thousands of man hours defeat a bad person in the primary? It could be done, but but as we as we discussed at the YAL event, it takes tremendous resources. And if you put in all your resources of every liberty activist in the country on primarying out one bad state rep or state senator, and you get someone to win the primary, and even if they win the general, that's one out of you know thousands thousands of legislative seats that you can maybe improve at least for the next four years until they're poisoned because every politician has an expiration date, right? So I think primarying like Yale has shown that there is some cause for optimism. 
and that's my only big issue with Yale, you know, they're making people into optimists. Um, but they're, they're doing some phenomenal work. And I love that, that they don't waste a lot of resources. And what I think Daniel was discussing was, we're not gonna waste a million dollars in California. It's a waste of resource. There's nothing good to be done there. We can spend a billion dollars on, on what? Letting a, a pro, making a pro-liberty person win 17% of the vote for governor. It's not going to have an impact. And that's one of the reasons I love Yale because a lot of organizations out there, all the great pro-freedom organizations, we love them all. We love Charlie Kirk, we love Daily Wire, right? We love them all, that's fine. But they're, they're not doing anything effective. What I love about Yale is that they go out there and they get wins. And from my football background, all that matters is a W. That's all that matters. Um, it doesn't matter. I could say I was the smallest slot receiver to ever have three catches in the game. I started on both sides of the ball. I'm great. I'm amazing. I'm the fastest receiver. Show me the wins. All that matters is a win is good. And a loss is really damn bad. Um, so that, that's all that matters. And that's one of the great things about Yale, that they, they focus, they have uh, specific focused campaigns that they do for, for elections and for issues, and they get some meaningful wins. So John, that's why I love Yale. Um, gotcha. so I, I guess we'll try to keep it to an hour. So in, in closing, John, um, unfortunately, we already learned that Rachel's an optimist, but that's okay. Yeah. We, we still love her. Um, what would you say is your outlook for for your chapter at UNH for uh, New Hampshire and maybe, I guess, for the whole US going forward over the next five, 10 years? You have a positive outlook, negative outlook, and, and how can we help uh, guide that in the right direction? Yeah, no, I'm gonna agree with Rachel on this one. I am an optimist. Um, I, I do see that, you know, for me, at least our generation is, we, we claim to want socialism and so forth, but it's, Bill Gates actually played it the best. It's really just like capitalism with more taxes. Um, for the most part, we can win over our generation less on the, the sort of free market capitalism stuff and more on the idea of sort of like the, the social idea, the idea that we do believe that uh, gay marriage, what is it? Gay married couples should be able. To, that me? Uh, like, like gay married couples should be able to protect their legal marijuana plants with AR-15s. Machine guns, yeah. Machine guns, AR-15. I always use that one because the the AR-15 is currently the it, it's the big one. And so that that is how I think we will end up winning over sort of our generation generation into a more pro liberty movement. Is it? It's the understanding that no, we don't hate, don't hate these people. I mean, what is it? The Libertarian Party was founded in 1971. And since then, we have been pro-gay marriage. We were the first party, I think, first ma major, of the three major parties, Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians, we were the first major, first of those to actually support gay marriage in 1971. Mm -hmm. And same with the war on drugs, same with police accountability. The Democrats are now claiming to... Uh, hijack a lot of those social issues which are now popular because now mm -hmm. weed is popular the last few years police accountability is popular and democrats are hijacking that but i know libertarians the big l and small l libertarians of course have been saying that for decades they've been on, on the right side of these social issues which are now popular which is a good thing so even if the lp is not getting wins which they never have and never will if they can help guide the rest of the u.s and make the other parties and, and ideologies closer to the side of freedom that that's a win too right and I think that, you know, it's not always popular to do what's right. And I think that what the LP is pushing for right now in terms of, you know, free speech and um, pro Second Amendment, that's not necessarily popular right now. Um, that's not popular in the media. That's not popular in any of the institutions. But gay marriage wasn't popular back in the 70s either. And we still push for that. Um, legal drug legalization wasn't popular until recently. I mean, it might've been a little bit back in the nineties, but 
not as popular as it is now. Back even at the very beginning, I think of her, um, not her, no, not her second run, her first one run for president. Hillary Clinton said, I don't support drug legalization mm-hmm. at all. And um, we really have to just keep pushing for what's right and um, and what the people want. And yeah. Excellent. Either of you have any final words for our listeners and viewers online? Uh, get involved. Um, make sure that you're reading your house bills. Um, uh, stay involved, knock doors, make phone calls for your preferred candidates, um, call your Congress people and, um, try to find common ground with somebody because the thing that kind of gave me a more objective perspective on the world and kind of helped to unify me with other people that I disagreed with, even when it's hard was finding common ground. That's actually kind of how I got red pilled was not necessarily the common ground piece was, but just um, listening to their perspective and realizing that for me, it just fit better. So I guess just listen to different perspectives and, and be careful before saying something, listen through and then uh, respond and really think about what you're saying when you're responding and what they're saying too. So that's my closing speech. The only thing I have to add on to what Rachel said is make Liberty win. Yeah, make Liberty win. <laughs> Hell yeah, you guys are superstars. Um, I know I make fun of you for being optimist, but that's fine. You guys are, are <laughs> wonderful superstars. I admire you guys so much. Come back on the show anytime. Stay in touch with me. Keep up the awesome work. And thank you for spending the time with Liberty Block. Thank you. Thank you.